Well, good morning, Brookwood. Go ahead and grab a seat. Man, I love that song. Can you say in your life that you can proclaim the truth of those lyrics? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Christ alone, cornerstone. Are you relying on Christ alone? That's the question that we're going to ask ourselves this morning. My name is Josh Masters. For those of you who are new or don't know who I am, I'm one of the pastors here at Brookwood Church. Uh, and we're continuing our series on the book of Colossians called Living Changed Lives. Living Changed Lives. And today, specifically, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2. We're starting chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to that passage or swipe uh, on your app to that passage. Uh, and while you do that and you take out your message outline, let's take a moment to recap where we are in our series. So remember that Paul is likely in prison when he's writing this letter. He's never been to Colossae. We know he's never been to Colossae. But the founder of the Colossian church was so concerned about the heresies and the things that were threatening the Colossian church that he walked over a thousand miles to where Paul was to get his help. And this letter is Paul's response. It's his attempt to build up and help the Colossian church. So he starts the letter in chapter 1 by encouraging the Colossians and proclaiming the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the creator, that he is supreme. And then toward the end of chapter 1, Paul begins explaining his ministry and why he does the work that he does why he's willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. And so as we begin chapter 2, it's a continuation of that thought. The verses that we start with are a continuation of why Paul is doing what he's doing and why he's willing to suffer for Christ. So starting at the top of chapter 2, we're on page uh, 950, if you're using the Bible that we sell in the bookstore. Top of chapter 2. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you. And the word agonized could be translated struggled for you, fought for you. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. Paul agonizes over the health of the church. Why? It's because when Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and you can read his account in Acts 26, not only was Paul's life transformed, but Paul's purpose for life was transformed. See, Paul inherited Christ's love for the church and a burden for the lost and the spiritually deceived. Now, if you read the passages referenced in your outline, you'll see that Paul had a very specific mission, but we all have a specific mission. Because if you've had a true experience with Christ, if you've been transformed by Christ, it should result in a love for the church and a burden for the lost. So let me ask you this. Who has God given you a burden for? Whose life is being affected by the way that you live your life? 
Every follower of Christ should be pouring into people who don't know Christ. And you should be building up believers who need maturing. Make sure that you hear this. If your service and your heart don't reflect a burden for the lost and a love for the church, you have missed the heart of Christ. In the case of this letter, the churches in this valley of Laodicea and Colossae were in danger of being spiritually deceived. That's why earlier in this letter, Paul said, this is from earlier in our series, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Colossians 1.23. So what was Paul's prayer for them? His desire for a healthy church was this. Verse 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. He wants them to be knit together in love for the purpose of Christ. With the false teachings and cultural pressures threatening the churches, it was vital that they build one another up in love so that they could stand together in truth when the heresies came. And that's exactly what our church needs today in our culture. Now, it's not in the NLT, but most translations correctly translate the word them in I want them to be encouraged as I want their hearts to be encouraged, which in the Greek is an allusion to our emotions, our thoughts, our will, and our conscience. It's, it's an illusion to the whole self. So Paul's desire here is for the individuals in the church to be strengthened and encouraged in every aspect of their life. He wants everything in their lives to be informed and transformed by the fullness of Christ. See, Paul had lived a life separate from the fullness of Christ. He had lived a life of emptiness and shallow legalism and power that caused only suffering and pain to other people. But Paul encountered Jesus. And when he experienced the fullness of Christ, his life was transformed. He gave up everything that the world had given him just so that he could have the opportunity to help other people have that same encounter with Jesus Christ. Are you doing that with your life? That's why Paul wrote this letter. To remind the Colossians that everything they need is found in Jesus Christ. That's our first fill-in. Experiencing the fullness of Christ produces. Experiencing the fullness of Christ produces what? What do you gain in your life when you experience the fullness of Christ? Well, the first thing is this, complete confidence. Complete confidence. Remember Paul's warning in chapter 1. Don't drift away from the assurance you receive when you heard the good news. Let's continue reading. But actually, let's just back up a little bit. Back to uh, the middle of verse 2 so that we can get the flavor of it. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. 
I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ Himself. In Him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. See, the Colossians had grabbed hold of the gospel, but several forces were working against their relationship with Jesus. One was a push to embrace the legalism of the Jewish culture and the rituals that Paul had once lived by. Those were false teachings from within the faith. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but what Paul is coming and talking about here is forces from outside the faith trying to work their way into the faith. The churches at Colossae, Laodicea, and Europolis, who would have all read this letter, were located in the Lycus Valley. Those cities in the entire region were very influenced by Greek culture. That was the culture that they lived in. And the Greek culture was all about philosophy and knowledge. They found their identity in debating ideas. I think I kind of understand that life a little bit. Some of you know that when I was running away from God, when I wasn't following God, I was involved in the film industry. And I was part of that artsy crowd that loved to sit around in coffee houses smoking clove cigarettes and arguing about the existential meaning of black and white independent films. I spent most of my days trying to impress everyone around me with my knowledge and my insight, and I would say things like, the sluggish cinematography obviously represents the futility of life. <laughs> I was an idiot. Some people here would still say I'm an idiot, but it's in a different way. See, the problem with that life is, it's never enough. You're never enough. because you're only as good as your last clever insight. So I needed to constantly seek more knowledge and steal more ideas from people to impress other people that I didn't even really like. That's how many people in the Greek culture lived as well. They had a hunger for knowledge and they loved discussing what they knew. Knowledge and wisdom was everything to them. So when many of them heard the gospel, Christ alone, just Christ, it seemed impossible that Christ's sacrifice could be enough for salvation. Surely there must be some secret wisdom that you needed to attain. It must be Jesus in addition to knowledge, right? See, and that thinking opened the door from mysticism and pagan rituals and pagan gods and, and philosophies to all be incorporated into their understanding of Christ's gospel. That was the danger that these churches faced. But Paul is imploring them, what we just read in verse 2. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. In essence, he's saying, don't allow all these outside forces to influence you. Ignore those outside ideas. I want you to understand and have complete confidence in the mystery of God's plan, but the divine secret has been revealed. The answer is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the totality of God's plan for salvation. Only Christ. In Him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
That's what he said in verse 3. Christ is all that's required. Any wisdom you need, any knowledge required to live a meaningful life is found in Christ alone, nowhere else. It doesn't come from arguing Aristotle. It doesn't come from worldly debate or how much knowledge you've acquired. True wisdom can only be found in one place. Look at Proverbs 2. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. And you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. You can have complete confidence and assurance in the mystery of God's plan through Jesus because He is the only source of ultimate truth. And unlike the wisdom of worldly philosophies, the point isn't to argue or collect or work harder. The point of God's wisdom and the assurance of His plan for salvation through Christ, which we'll talk more about next week, is to draw you closer in a relationship with Him and to transform you to look more like Jesus. But how do you access this divine wisdom? How do you get this wisdom? It's really complicated. So make sure you pay attention. You might want to write it down. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. That's it. You ask. When you're in a growing, intimate relationship with Christ, when He is the sole source of your confidence and your assurance, you simply ask. And the closer you are to Him, the easier it will be to know His will and recognize His wisdom. Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus? Or are there distractions in your life? See, the primary danger of the Colossian church wasn't that they didn't believe in Jesus. It wasn't that they rejected Jesus. It's that they were trying to add things to Jesus. So the question is, are you doing the same thing? Maybe you don't argue about Greek philosophy or embrace pagan, pagan practices, but is there something in your life that you might be trying to add to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in your life? What have we infused into our Christianity, into our faith that doesn't belong there? Which leads us to our next point. As we learn to have confidence in the plan of God, we also gain complete direction for our lives. Experiencing the fullness of Christ produces complete direction. Once my wife Gina and I were going to visit some friends who live in Georgia, and we were on our on road that had been newly constructed. It was a brand new road, and I wasn't sure that Siri was telling me the truth. I wasn't sure that the GPS on the phone was telling me the right way to go. So we also used the GPS Garmin machine that we had in the car. And you know what happened? They gave us two completely different sets of directions. The result was I had no idea where to go because you can't follow two sets of directions at the same time. Do you have more than one spiritual GPS pulling you in different directions? What are we trying to add to Christ's direction in our lives? Because Jesus provides all the direction that you need. 
Will you follow him? Or do you pull out a supplementary GPS? Let's continue reading. Verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. How many of you wake up every day completely overflowing with thankfulness? couple hands. Scripture says gratitude is the result of building your life on Christ. So if you're not overwhelmed with a sense of thanksgiving for everything in your life, is your life really built on Jesus? I'm talking to me too. This is what Jesus said. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. My friend Jim Fowler, uh, who's one of our CR team leaders, Celebrate Recovery team leaders here at Brookwood uh, taught on this passage earlier this year. And he said this, if you're not sure how solid your foundation is, stop construction. Evaluate your relationship with Jesus, and if something is off, stop construction. Stop and ask him how he wants to transform you before you continue to build on the sand. Our text says, let your roots grow down into him, verse 7. What do roots provide? What? Sustenance, yep. Support, stability, yep. Sustenance and stability. Jesus should be the source of our sustenance, our nourishment, and our stability. What is your life truly built on? What have you rooted yourself down into? See, we face the same danger as the Colossians did. Is it Jesus alone you rely on, or is it Jesus plus something else? Is it Jesus plus knowledge, like the Greeks? Is it Jesus plus my success? Does your direction and security come from work? Does it come from having money and self-reliance? Does, it, does your giving reflect a life rooted in Christ and His kingdom? Is it Jesus plus my politics? Ooh. Are you directed by your politics more than Jesus? Now be careful, because I know it's easy to say, well, my politics are informed by my faith. My politics are based on my faith. Hmm. Are they really? Because I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be blunt. I see a lot of Facebook posts from people who call themselves Christians that are political that in no way reflect the life of Jesus Christ. Stop it. Don't clap. This next one might be for you. 
Is it Jesus plus my time? You can easily take your direction from a calendar. That happens a lot in our society. Is, it, is your life built on your own to-do list and calendar events? Does your service reflect a life built on Christ? Do you come early for worship with a heart prepared for worship? Do you scoot out early to beat the traffic? Do you keep your commitments for service? Or do you let your own calendar get in the way? Is it your time or is it Christ's time? Is your time with Christ the priority in your life or do you give him your leftover time? You can even go off course with this one. Is it Jesus plus my theology? Some people can start worshiping knowledge about God over experiencing a life with God. Now, it's obviously okay to discuss theology, like Paul wasn't making a blanket condemnation of Greek uh, philosophy here. But has it become your source of validation? Has it become your source of identity? Has it become more important to you to argue than to look like Christ? Does your love for arguing your point about the church threaten the ability for the church to be knit together in love, like Paul talked about earlier? It's not enough to know that Christ died for your sins. You have to fully build your life on Him. Christ is not a convenience. Christ is not a mascot for your club. He's not an add-on to your life. Make sure that you hear this. Too many of us view Christ as an upgrade to a life that we're designing rather than the source of life itself. Look at what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There's only one way to the Father. It's through Jesus Christ. The term Christian came from Antioch, but do you know what the early church called themselves? Somebody said it. The way, followers of the way. Jesus is the only direction we need in our lives. He is the way. He's the only way. Build your life on Jesus alone and you will find stability, you will find sustenance, and you will find direction. It's a well-known passage, but look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. He will make your path straight. But you have to seek his will in all you do. Not some of the things you do, all that you do. Look at verse 6 in our text again. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. You have to follow Christ alone. You can't choose two separate directions. We know the result. We know the result because of Laodicea. This letter was addressed to the Colossians, but we know from chapter 4 that Paul anticipated it would be read by the other two churches in the valley as well. And we know that Laodicea didn't choose a direction. 
we know that they stayed conflicted because only 30 or so years later, Jesus Christ Himself dictates a follow-up letter to the Laodiceans. And in part, He says this, this is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You can't be lukewarm toward Christ. You can't have your roots grow down into Christ and then partially into the poison soil of the world. And you certainly can't receive direction from Christ and the world at the same time because they will always send you in opposite directions. Don't go through this world feeling lost because the directions of this world are unclear. Christ has a plan and a purpose and a direction for your life. His direction is complete and full and meaningful. And as we build our life on Christ, as our roots grow down into Him, we find freedom, real freedom. Experiencing the fullness of Christ produces complete freedom. And we don't have time this morning, but read the verses that are listed in your outline about freedom. Last week, Pastor Mike, who's our outreach pastor, talked about our calling suffering for Christ. One of the reasons that unbelievers resist God's call is because they're afraid of what they're going to have to give up. And the primary reason that believers don't build their life on Christ and live out that calling is because they're afraid of what they might have to give up. Continuing in verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you. Capture is an important word here. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. The philosophies and distractions of this world are a trap. The word capture here was most often used to describe plunder that was stolen from a ship. And the spiritual powers of this world, Paul is referring to the deception of this world itself and perhaps even demonic spirits. See, the great lie of the enemy in this fallen world is that following Christ will shackle you, but you are already shackled. The world wants to carry you away like plunder. But Jesus is the key to your freedom. One of the major themes in this letter to the Colossians is freedom from the person and the prison this world has put us in. Freedom from rituals, freedom from legalism, freedom from self-reliance. Jesus didn't come to oppress you. He came to set you free. He came to give you freedom. 
He stood in the synagogue and he proclaimed, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Freedom. And he has the authority to fulfill that promise because he is God. Our theme verse is at the top of your outline. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. See, the Greeks embraced this idea that the body, in fact, all matter was evil. So one of the heresies threatening the Colossian church was the idea that Jesus couldn't possibly be both human and divine. They believed something divine and perfect couldn't take physical form because a physical form would be evil. So how can something perfect become something evil? But Paul refutes that here. In Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. Look at this. In the book of John, Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have you been with me all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Don't you know who I am? Is Jesus asking you that question this morning? John chapter 1, we read, in the beginning the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Look at this. Though He was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born a human being. Jesus is fully God and fully human. We can have complete understanding and confidence. We can have completely reliable direction and complete freedom because Jesus is complete. He is the fullness of God, sacrificed for our redemption. But there's another gift that we receive. One more for today. Verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are also complete. Experiencing the fullness of Christ produces a complete identity. So many people walk through this life, so many people walked into this room feeling incomplete because they're looking for significance in titles or accomplishments or 
something else the world has to offer, and they always walk away feeling empty. Listen, you, you have a choice. You can choose to seek significance and fulfillment in the broken promises of a broken world, or you can follow Jesus Christ. When you are alive with Christ, and we'll talk about that more next week, what that means to be alive in Christ, but when you are alive with Christ, your identity is complete because the one who lives in you is complete. Look at 2 Peter. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. When you experience the fullness of Christ, you inherit his fullness. You share in his divine nature. No worldly philosophy can ever have any real power over you. No struggle can have real power over you because you live in Christ, who, as our verse said, is the head over every other ruler and authority, which means that through Christ you can have authority over the things that are trying to take you captive. You can have authority over the things that the world is trying to throw at you because the one that lives in you is greater than the one who's throwing things at you. Throw out what the world is telling you about who you are. They're lies. Because the world will tell you that you have no value, that you can be tossed aside. The world will tell you that you are not complete and that you will never be complete. But when your life is built on Jesus Christ, when your roots grow down into him, you cannot be knocked over. Your roots cannot be dug up no matter what your weaknesses are because when Paul struggled with his own weaknesses, you know what God, he said, he said, my grace is sufficient and I work best in your weakness. The philosophies of this world will tell you that you are insignificant, but the gospel of Jesus Christ tells you something else. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that you are a child of the Most High God, that you are chosen and accepted. You're his special possession, that you were bought at a price, that you are set free. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that you are loved and you are redeemed and you are complete. Don't choose the world over that. Don't clap for me. Grab hold of what the Spirit is doing in you. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Let's stand and pray. After we're done, our care partners will be down front to pray with you. If you want someone to pray with you or anoint you with oil, they're going to come now. But let's pray. Start with just a moment of being quiet before God and asking Him 
what he's trying to show you today. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who sees us, that you see our brokenness, you see our pain. And you say, I have an answer. I have an answer for that struggle. I have an answer for that pain. Lord, I pray for each person in here today that you would allow us, myself included, to see ourselves as you see us, not as the world sees us, not as the enemy sees us, but how you see us. And we know that to do that, we need to root ourselves into you. We need to build our lives on you. We don't know, we don't know how to do that always, so show us. Show us how to build our lives on you. Teach us to grow our roots into you so that we can feel this fullness and this completion that you offer. We give you praise because you are a God that is worthy of praise. In the name of Christ, who brings our salvation and in our completeness and our ability to be in relationship with you. Amen.